0: What I'm gonna play for you today is the second of two episodes that I did a few years back on the Disciple Nations podcast where I talked with these guys about two different topics. Uh, Last time I shared with you in the last video, the the first discussion which was on the topic of the supremacy of Christ in the scriptures. The second discussion we had was on Romans chapter nine and that's what I'll be playing for you today. Uh, Romans nine is a highly controversial uh, chapter of the Bible, and there's a lot of debate around it, and it's often used to support the doctrines of Calvinism and their ideas of how God's sovereignty in salvation works. And so, this video is not intended to condemn Calvinists or to attack you as a as a person or as a follower of Jesus. This discussion, our purpose, our goal, is simply to explain our perspective of Romans 9 and why we believe there is a better, more biblical way to understand this chapter that doesn't conclude with Calvinistic sort of ideas about God's sovereignty and how He He relates to us in, in His sovereignty in our salvation. And so I hope this, this video, whatever side you're on in this whole predestination and, and sovereignty discussion, I hope it it's at least kind of stirs you to think. Um, about some things. It was a really fun discussion to be a part of, and so I just wanted to share it with you today and hope that you um, enjoy and are blessed by this conversation on Romans chapter nine. An ism
1: is a distinct practice, system, or philosophy. It is important that we interpret the scriptures through a Christ-centered hermeneutic instead of through an ism.
2: All right, welcome to the Disciple Nation podcast, episode two. Woohoo! Back with Sam and Jordan on the mics. Yes, we're ready. We've had lots of caffeine.
0: Yeah,
1: pumped up. <laughs> it speaking gets speaking of.
2: Speaking of, <clears throat> so we've been spending some time. We spent some time in our first episode, uh, really tackling Christ-centered theology throughout Scripture, seeing Jesus in all things. Um, employing <laughs> through the Spirit in us a Jesus hermeneutic. And, mm-hmm. and so we talked about some of the dangers of not doing that. Yes. And uh, so we, we tackled a couple of different um, examples of where Jesus um, is a type or a shadow in the Old Testament. Um, but we can fall into some traps in the New Testament without using that Jesus hermeneutic. And so today we're going to be talking about the danger of some isms, um, employing isms, to uh, To find truth in the Scripture versus employing, <laughs> I'm using this word yes, for what like it is it it. employing Jesus and yes, the Holy Spirit. Wonderful, right? So, um, specifically today, we're gonna we're gonna tackle some stuff in Romans nine,
1: right? Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, that's Uh-oh. and and then Sam, so you chose that for a reason. Tell us why you chose Romans nine.
1: Well, I think as we uh, talked about, an ism is a system or a, a philosophy, a way of thinking. And, and and as we as we dive into this, I just want to say, I think that the isms, um, and we can name some of these, Calvinism, Arminianism, uh, dispensationalism, they come from great, sincere places. And so this is not to hammer out and hammer on um, all of those issues. There is, though, we think, an inherent danger when a system is produced by man to try to interpret interpret scripture, which is supernatural and should have Christ at the center and um, and sometimes has the need to remove all mystery. There's just a mystery in the Bible. Yeah. And we got to get used to that. We sure. want to sometimes control whatever. So sometimes um, developing an ism produces a, a lens, like a hermeneutic, a way we look at the scripture. And sometimes we can make the scripture fit the system instead of, um, you know, the the scripture itself speaking of its main theme, which we again would say is Jesus. And so we'll use the phrase, it's a little incendiary maybe, but think that sometimes an ism can hijack certain passages.
2: Yeah. And so um, not only isms, but we tackled some of this as well, but worldviews and culture. Yes. And so there there are multiple things that influence the way that we interpret scripture. Right. And so whether it's where I grew up or even the church that I grew up in where things didn't go the way that they should have gone or right. I was hurt or um, I'm in a time in my life where you know something bad happened or I've been hanging out with this kind of crew who employs this ism. And so now I've got this... Film, yes. so to speak, yes. right? A lens. I've got yes. this film, some soot mm-hmm. <laughs> over over my um, the lens through which I'm I'm reading scriptures, and so you're saying that we can employ those things to then read the scripture, and we're trying to make the f- the scripture fit that box, right?
1: Yes, that's a great way to say it because I think it is bigger than <clears throat> theological systems. It's experience. Yeah. It's culture. Uh, yeah. yeah, religion. That's great. So yeah. uh, it can uh, all those things can be, again, wonderful and have some good parts in them, but they can be part of the spiritual warfare. The scriptures say that the uh, the uh, there's masquerading false teachers and says often the the enemy shows up as an angel of light. Mm-hmm. And it can seem like a very good thing, but it, it ends up slightly or even majorly distracting us mm-hmm. from yeah. Jesus and the gospel.
2: And so having talked quite a bit about the Jesus hermeneutic in uh, episode one, we're actually going to do some of that That's right, right yeah. here on episode two in Romans nine. That's right. So
1: so we have chosen Romans nine because it is, um, there's multiple passages by different isms we could have chose, but Romans nine's a, a real a big one as it relates to a certain system of thinking and how um, Romans nine is viewed. And so we wanna take this and open it up a little bit we're gonna refer a little bit to um, maybe uh, some uh, an ism called Calvinism at time but our, our, our war is not against Calvinism nor for Armenianism. that's not our point our point is for the theme of the scripture and lifting up Jesus out of the passage mm-hmm. and so uh, to set this up to be fair and why we're doing this is this is sometimes to the ism Uh, Honestly, of Calvinism, it can seem that Romans 9 is proclaiming the message of God's sovereign right to determinism. That he can sovereignly just determine who goes to heaven, who goes to hell, those kinds of things. And though we are huge proponents of the sovereignty of God, we do not believe that that's the main point either in the whole book or even just in this passage that Paul is talking about. But if you walk in and you're like this passage, which has some amazing sentences in it about God's sovereign choice, if you take that ism in, you're thinking this is making the case for determinism. Do you know what I mean by determinism?
2: Yeah, I think you defined it just a little bit a second ago that God will sovereignly determine who does or doesn't end up in heaven. And though
1: Paul is defending his right to do that. And though we believe he has high rights and is high sovereign, we don't. What he's primarily defending is something else, and so that's kind of what we want to talk about because that yeah. shift.
2: I, yeah, I'm certainly interested in this conversation. We we've been doing some breakfast and Bible study, mm. tackling the book of Romans, and and uh, obviously, yeah. it, or maybe not obviously, but not going as deep in some areas as some people would from yeah. certain camps. Right. And so we just kind of blew through Romans nine. We were like, <laughs> oh. Right, you know, and right. and I was like, Whoo <laughs> Got through that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, on yep. to the next one, <laughs> yeah. You know, and so uh, really interested to to see that, you know, I most uh, most of my understanding of Romans nine and, and when I'm reading through it, yeah, I kind of get to the point where I'm like, "Okay, well, God can do whatever He wants," kind of thing, and that's, right, and that and that's what I take away from it. And I keep going. Some people like to camp out a little bit longer and really, you know, get yes. into it and say, "Okay, what do you think about this, this and that?" And so. Um, Usually they're leaning towards a certain belief system, ism, doctrine, whatever it is. And so, yeah, let's dive in. I'm interested to see uh, what the other side is.
1: Yeah. And so let me set this up just a little bit contextually, okay? So this is Romans 9, which comes after... Romans eight, And so, um, and what you've just finished in Romans 8 is what is often called the Mount Everest of promises, glorious promises, uh, all, all, knowing all these things were more than conquerors. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. He's just, the greatest probably breakdown of the gospel is Romans 3 through 8. It's just amazing. And it started out in Romans one sixteen. Paul saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone. Yeah. And so he's going to have as the main theme, I'm defending the gospel. That's the whole book is what we're saying, 16 yeah. chapters. Yeah. And he is also talking about the controversy of the Gentiles being included in Christ, right. which is the glory right. of the gospel. All yeah. men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 8, twenty uh, three. 23. Yeah. And so uh, he is continuing that discussion while addressing a theme. And so... He had got done breaking down. You remember Romans 6, we've died with Christ and now we're alive in him and we're dead to sin. And Romans 7 is the doo-doo chapter, the things I don't want to do. I end up doing <laughs> a lot of doo-doo. And what a wretched man I am. It smells. And then Romans 8 is there's no condemnation and oh, the crescendo yeah, of Romans 8. It's yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. But then in the middle of that discussion, Paul is prompted by the Holy Spirit to address the issue of the Jews who are Uh, wholesale almost rejecting this Messiah. The Pharisees and the Jewish religion Judaism was set up waiting, and its center is waiting on a Messiah to come. And so Jesus has come, and Paul and the apostles are proclaiming he's the Messiah, he's the one, and they're largely nationally rejecting that and still do to this day. And so he's now going to address this issue. And so in verse 1 it says, I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience confers it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish, and this is one of the most amazing, passionate statements, oh, yeah. Yeah. I wish myself were cursed and cut off for, from Christ for the sake of my people. What a sacrificial statement. Those are my own race. The people of Israel is his point. Theirs is the adoption of sonship, theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises, read the Old Testament. From these are the dynamics they have theirs are the patriarchs Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all forever praised amen so this sets the stage he's like I want to take a moment and talk about Israel <laughs> because you know they're rejecting you know they're n- even trying to kill us for preaching what they think is this false thing of the Messiah so verse 6 is your key verse It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. This is his main concern, is it looks like with all the prophecies that Israel will have this Messiah and have this glorious age where this Messiah with them from Jerusalem will rule the world. Well, that's not happening. What's happened largely is he's saying the Messiah is coming. They missed it. They miss the first coming. The second coming is coming later. But this puts an interesting thing. I had pro- I had proclaimed how God would conquer and do all these amazing things. But look, they're rejecting.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's so wrapped up in the Jews' uh, identity and and who they considered themselves to be in relation to God. And so and an example of that is John eight, where. Um, They said that they answered him, Abraham is our father. And so they said, Abraham is our father. And then later on in that same place, they said, God is our father. And so they had a high view, a high, ultimately self-righteous view of who they were. And they were confident of their standing with God because of their DNA connection to Abraham, and their, their, their nationality as, as Israelites. And so uh, those two things, and then also their keeping of the law. And they thought that because of these outward righteous uh, things, that these things were giving them a confident place of righteousness before God and that they were the true children of Abraham. Um, what what Paul is explaining here in Romans 9 is that the reason they are they are being disconnected, cut mm-hmm. off from the Messiah, the reason that not only cut off, but Paul will go on to argue that they're actually being hardened, that God is hardening them. And so what he's going to explain now is really answering the question of why why is this happening? like mm-hmm. this doesn't make sense. We have all God's promises. And, and not only are these promises not coming to pass, right. but we're being hardened by God. And so Paul is going to explain why that is. Right. And his reason for why that is, is because what he says here in, in verse six and seven is that not all who are descended from Abraham or descended from Israel truly belong to Israel or are truly Abraham's children. Um, so he's making a a differenti- differentiation, that's a big word, mm-hmm. between uh, natural descendants of Israel and true spiritual descendants of Israel. And this is the
1: point of this chapter. Mm-hmm. And that's a big point, okay? It's not though he had failed. He didn't fail. Why did he not fail? Because God determines identity in the covenant family not by natural descent, but by spiritual descent. Uh, so, uh, verse 7, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And so he makes the proclamation that there'll be a reckoning through Isaac, which in Galatians he'll tell us, Paul, um, um, that this truly the writer of this was saying that the gospel would be how people came in. So, in other words, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise, mm-hmm. who are regarded as Abraham's seed or offspring. The promise is what he's defending here. I just want to make this mm-hmm. point. I believe that this is, in a way, Romans 9, an argument for a sovereign determinism. But what he's yes. saying he has the right to sovereignly determine is not individuals that go here or there, but the way that you become a
0: covenant person with yeah. him. Yes. So here, here's the deal with this chapter is, is there should be no debate in any... Christian uh, circle or theological standing whether or not Romans 9 is proclaiming that God has the absolute sovereign right to choose whatever he wants however he wants yes that is Paul's yes. argument here that is absolutely established here God has the right to choose and who are we to question what he chooses that is established here without question there's no debate about that and so like Sam said earlier this is not what whatever we present here is not to present a low view of God's sovereignty no. we absolutely absolutely acknowledge that Paul is arguing that God has the right to choose and whatever he chooses, we have to bow before it. What we are going to be presenting is is really the question here again is, yes, God has the right to choose, but what is Paul arguing here that he has indeed chosen? What has he chosen? What is the choice that God has made? Yes. He has the right to choose, but what has he chosen? And the reason this is important is because God's choices – what he determines and what he chooses in his sovereignty is, is uh, huge in our understanding of God's character and nature. If he chooses a certain set of things and, and doesn't choose another certain set of things, uh, what, uh, what those things are can greatly impact our understanding of God and and either give us a correct and accurate view of God's character or a slightly distorted view. So what is going to happen here is we're going to see
1: multiple scenarios like Paul does out of the Old Testament that show this way that he's choosing, and he's saying, this is not, this shouldn't be new to you. Look what he did in the Old Testament.
2: Yeah. So, and you can tell me if I'm taking this somewhere it's not supposed to go or not, Okay. but um, I'm just thinking about certain viewpoints, right? So we're saying, okay, God can absolutely determine certain things. He can do whatever he wants, however he wants. And so essentially some have argued that, um, yes, God is in heaven sending babies down to earth with the stamp of hell on their soul. Right. Yes. And sending babies down to earth with the stamp of heaven on
1: their soul. Isms proclaim Mm -hmm. that, Yes. yes.
2: Isms proclaim that. So you're saying babies are coming down to earth with no stamp
1: we're saying that they are sovereignly created by god psalms 139 yeah and they are all, the, Jesus died for all the sins of the world and he's drawing them down. And that, uh, I think our main, to stay in context here, is our sure. main point is, is that it's not about him determining individuals. Yeah. This chapter is about what the whole book of Romans is. Mm-hmm. God has determined that the gospel will be the way that people way, are reconciled yes. with him and our yeah. covenant people, uh-huh. Jew or Gentile. And yeah. let me show you that from the okay. Old Testament. Yeah, when you great. do that, yep. you stay on theme, yes. you Go see ahead. what I'm saying? Yes. If you go to what you said which was great yeah. Jason that he's you you move out into this individualism determinism yeah. which is not even here which
2: is what a lot of people they default to yes. this is what I was saying. And then right?
1: they miss the point of the gospel and Jesus is our point. Yes. We're not arguing for free will, sorry that's not where our our argument is for the gospel and how God has the sovereign right and they're struggling. The Jews are thinking he failed. If if Jesus is the Messiah, then this is a failure. And who is God to choose you know, we're the ones that are the chosen ones. Yeah. And it's things are shifting on them
0: of how yeah. God is inviting people into the covenant yes. family. And so let me let me say to that 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 again, you're talking about certain theological systems that that produce the teaching that God is sending babies down with a stamp of heaven or hell. I've never heard it put that way, but but <laughs> in either. its but in its truest form, that's really what these theologies come down to, yes. and, and that's not an attack on the people who no, hold to that, no. or or even a, a hateful thing. But it's just like fund, fundamentally, I mean, that's that's just what it comes down to. That's what God has really done in some form, and so again, I'd say like. From this chapter, I think it could be upheld, and I think they rightly see who hold to that belief. These theologians are rightly seeing that God does have the right to do that if he would have chosen that, but the important thing is that if that is what God has chosen, that choice... Uh, that choice gives us a different concept of who God is than if he chose something else. And so it's very important that we know, is that really the choice that Paul is arguing for in this chapter that God has made? And we're going to, ru- like Sam just ruined our whole thing here. Yes. What we're talking about, <laughs> the choice that God has made, and this is what, this is the, the bottom being, this is what it comes down to. Yes. This is what we mean by making this chapter Christ centered is that the ultimate point to go away from, from this is not that God has chosen individuals but that God has chosen his son. And there's a huge difference between that, and that is the difference between a Christ-centered hermeneutic of this chapter yes. and a man-centered or or a, a religious, or whatever you want to call it. Is God's main concern, is, his, is the ultimate thing he has in view a choice of things, individuals, mm-hmm. or is it his son that he has in view? And we see Paul's arguing over and over in, in Romans and Galatians that what God has chosen Chosen and what offended the Jews, yes. the stumbling block, was not this Calvin, Calvinistic idea of sovereign determinism, but it was God's choice of saving people by grace through faith rather than works and mm-hmm. that offended the Jews because they were coming with a self-righteous yeah. confidence that I'm a son of Abraham, I have his DNA, I've got the law, I've got the promises, I'm good with God. Mm-hmm. And Paul was turning that on its head saying, "No, you're not. Mm-hmm. A- and you're being rejected and hardened because you're persisting in self-righteous works and you're res- you're resisting uh, God who says simply come to me with a childlike faith yeah, and right. receive from me and stop trying to mm-hmm. do for me." And that, that that is what Paul is arguing. God's choice in this chapter, he, he has a sovereign, absolute right to do what he wants. But God has revealed his character and showing us that what his choice is. Is his son and to save people by grace who come to him by faith. And that's his defense right here. Yes.
1: We're giving it away because we want to say that's what we're going to be proving here. We're not, we don't think this is a discussion over whether he has their sovereignty or free will. To go there is to go low. Yes. (laughs) About individuals. That's not the point. Sovereignty about individuals, sovereignty about nations. Of course he's sovereign in so many different ways. Pharaoh, his heart is hardened sometimes, and sometimes he hardens his own heart. When people say to me, is there sovereignty or free will? I'll go, yes. (laughs) Of course there is all through your Bible, both. And you're not honest with Scripture if you don't see both. But that's not our discussion in Romans 9. Sure. This is, we're going to make the defense that God has the right to deal with his covenant people this way. Let's begin to go through just a couple of these scenarios and, and unpack them real quick. So he'll say uh, in, that it's children of the pro, It's God's. It's by promise. OK, children of the promise are who come in. So he's defending the promise issue and he'll refer first to Isaac. Verse nine, for this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I'll return and Sarah will have a son. That son is Isaac. Isaac. And Isaac, the, but he's not the firstborn son. I don't know if people think about that a lot. But he's not the the firstborn son of Abraham is Ishmael. 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 Ishmael's the firstborn son. The firstborn son's the one who gets the promise and gets the inheritance and is the one. But God in that order did not work according to the law. He chose, I'm gonna go through the secondborn, through the one that is Isaac from Sarah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because he has the right, is what Paul's saying. Even in the old testament, he will superintend over the ways of things and
0: how that he accomplished things. He'll go to a, go ahead. I wanna add to that, that really what that is saying here, and, and here again is the difference, that we have two paths we could go there. Paul, again, is making the point here. He's bringing up the the symbolism, if you will, of Isaac and Ishmael here because he's making a case that God has the right to choose right. what he wants and how he wants. And as an example of God choosing what he wants, how he wants, he says, look at the example of Isaac and Ishmael. Right. God did not choose the firstborn. He chose Isaac. So here's where the two paths would separate between the the Calvinist and us, and maybe in the Armenian, I, I really know very little about Armenianism. Yeah. Um, here's where the two paths would separate, because we have two options here. What? Okay, we're seeing God's sovereign right to choose Isaac over Ishmael, but, but what's the ultimate point of that? What's Paul trying to get across there? And so the Calvinists would go and say, okay, so now here's Isaac and Ishmael is an example of God having the right to choose individuals to send babies with the stamp of hell or heaven, and now he's just made that case. Isaac is an example of somebody who gets a stamp to heaven. Ishmael's an example of somebody who gets a stamp to go to hell, um, and that's Paul's ultimate point here. That's why he brings up the symbolism, and I would say there's another path, and there's a much more biblically accurate path, and if you go to Galatians, it is, Paul is screaming what he's trying to say here, and in Gal- Galatians, we all know the point of Galatians is faith Versus works, and God has chosen faith, and He rejects you if you go back and revert to works. And He brings up Isaac and Ishmael constantly throughout that book. Why? Why can we not see in Romans nine that when He brings up Isaac and Ishmael, He's not talking about this sovereign, this uh, deterministic? Predetermined election of event, individuals to heaven or hell. He's talking about faith, faith. versus works, yes. and God is. He's bringing up Isaac and Ishmael as an example that God has the right to choose. And now I'm going to tell you what He chose. And, he chose faith, and yes. Ishmael so, is the result of works, yes. Yes. and Isaac's the
1: result of a promise and yes. faith. Yep. So that's what I choose. I choose that. So the second scenario in 10 is not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father, Isaac, yet before the twins were born or done anything good or bad, Mm -hmm. not by works, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 whether they had done good or bad. This is not by works. In order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, there's my phrase, but by him who calls, she was told a prophecy, a prophecy of foreknowledge. The older will serve the younger. This is going to happen again. Esau will be born first, but Jacob is the one who will get the blessing. And so she's told, this is what's going to happen. He'll get the blessing and be the result of promise. Esau is going to be the one that will sell out his birthright for a stew. He had it first, but that whole process was, again, the second born got the promise and birthright, and God worked along the lines of that and didn't do it by works. Mm -hmm. The key phrase here is what he, again, is in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not by works is his point, Mm -hmm. not I decided I want Esau to go to hell, and I want Jacob, I want Esau not to be blessed and I'm that's not the point in fact then just what what happens sometimes is people read on and say the older will serve the younger they read and then 13 just as written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated the important part of that is that's Malachi. The first part is, let me tell you what's about to happen here. The older is going to serve the younger. This is the way this is all going to flesh out prophetically. I'm telling you, but the issue that I, what hate Esau and love Jacob, that was written by Malachi hundreds of years after the actions of the boys. It wasn't like, I hate that baby, he goes to hell. I hate that, I love that baby, it goes to heaven. Some people miss the timing on this. And again, what we're making the point in is, is that the Lord is saying, I can determine who gets the blessing.
0: Mm-hmm. And and so again, with that, God chose Isaac, the second born, yes. and he rejected Ishmael, yes. or he hated Ishmael. Mm-hmm. God chose uh, Jacob, and he hated Esau. So what does, that, what does that mean? What does the Bible tell us? And so I will tell you, this in 1 Corinthians is that extrapolated, um, where, where God says that we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness, Of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then he goes on to say God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So his argument here, him bringing up Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and Esau, as he's saying God chose the foolish thing, which is which is what? It's the younger brother. Yes. That is an example or a symbol, not of, not of an individual election to heaven or hell. That is... A, that is a symbolic uh, meaning there that he's saying God chose weak. He chose what is weak in the world rather than choosing the strong thing. Esau is an example of strong because he was the firstborn. Yes. And Jacob is an example of what is weak and foolish to the world. The one who should not, by all human standards, get a blessing. He is the one that I choose to get a blessing. And the Holy Spirit and Paul in their brilliance are saying multiple things at
1: the same time. I think the main theme is the defense of the gospel and God can choose the way. He's also, though, saying um, this is the controversial part. He's saying, uh, Jews, you're Ishmael. Mm-hmm. You're first. But all Isaac came in, the Gentiles are now coming in. He's saying, you're Esau, Jewish nation, and Jacob is the Gentiles now. That's what he's saying. He'll say it again here with another scenario in verse 14. What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Meaning unjust in that he chooses a different way. Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Now remember, the controversy to the Jews is you're having mercy on the Gentiles. They're the dogs, yeah. And he said, I'll have mercy on who I want to have mercy. Yeah. I'll choose the second son if I want to choose. I'll have compassion because I have the right to do that. Mm-hmm. It does not therefore depend in 16 on human desire or effort, the works, mm-hmm. but on God's mercy, his gospel. Yes, right. Let me finish this in 17 for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens right. whom he wants to harden. Pardon. And so my the point in this is again God's way of dispensing His mercy He can determine. They thought the Jews the way He dispenses His mercy is because we have the patriarchs, we have the law, we have the temple. That's how He dispenses His mercy on humans. He's like, no no no. He's doing it now through His Messiah Son. He can do it, and in fact He can actually use a person like Pharaoh and who sovereignly use him, which he did. Mm -hmm. Pharaoh hardened his heart sometimes, and sometimes God hardened his heart. There's like an interesting number there, but it both happened. But he's basically saying to the Jews again, you're Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. You hardened your heart. Later, he'll talk about your hardening actually opened the door for them to come into the gospel.
0: Wow. So yeah, so the Jews are saying, uh, or Paul says to them, what shall we say? Is there injustice on God's part? For he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So again, we see the clear clear argument of Paul that God has the right to choose what he wants. He can have mercy on who he wants. He can harden who he wants. But again, that's where the crossroads is. Is, is what again is Paul's argument of what God's choice actually is and and what what does the bible say about who god has mercy on and who he does not have mercy on mm-hmm. and he says it over and over mm-hmm. that he has mercy on those who believe mm-hmm. those who do not believe and persist in this example those who persist in <laughs> self righteous yeah. works right they will not receive the mercy of God. And that is his argument here, that God has the right to do that. God has the right to choose to have mercy on those who simply come to him by faith. And he has yeah. the right to reject those who come to him with their outward form of righteousness, which is Romans, uh, I think, 1 and 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so the Jews, you, you have to maintain in this, you have to follow Paul's, uh, his point-by-point argument here, and like Peter says, it is, some of the things Paul's, Paul writes are hard to understand, yeah. and some, and it's easy, I think, to twist them and to misunderstand mm-hmm. them, but you have to maintain in this an understanding of what was going on in the Jews, the mind of the Jews, yes. and that all comes down to John 8, where they, this whole setup is that the, the Israel, these Jewish people that Paul is talking to or talking about, have a self-righteous confidence that they're in with God because of their DNA connection to Abraham, because of their law-keeping, because of their uh, their nationality, and, and that is what the offense is all about here, that, yes. God, that Paul is saying God has the right to reject that, and that is what they're saying, what? they like saying that? he has no right to do that. Yeah. He's going, this whole chapter
1: is, yes, he does. He does
0: have the right to do that. He, he has the right to reject that and to choose the way of
1: faith in Christ. That's exactly right, and that's the defense, which is the defense of the whole... Book, and it is consistently still continuing here. I, <clears throat> I was just having some some
2: revelation when you said um, that the Israelites, the Jews, were like Pharaoh, and so he's arguing works versus faith. Yes. he's arguing strong versus weak. Yes. So if you consider Pharaoh, he was self-proclaimed divine yes self-proclaimed righteous deserving of glory mm-hmm. and honor mm-hmm. and riches and goodness so much so that he also enslaved a weak people yes through works yes right and so they were oppressed slaves bound by works the Jews then turn into a nation who then used the law yes to enslave yes. and bind the weak people who could never live up to their
1: expectations. This chapter, I, I argue, I don't know if I have proof of this, but I think this would have been some of the fuel for the Judaizers to beat the tar out of Paul. I mean, you're talking about, a lot of what he wrote was controversial, but this, this is like he's saying again, you're Ishmael, you're Esau, you're Pharaoh in this scenario, and God has the sovereign right to do. And when you, when you see how you're going, oh my gosh, when they yeah, read this, they wow. had to be, okay, we gotta kill him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So he will go on wow. and he'll if we when I'm 19 one of you will say to me then why does God still blame us if he's chose a different way and we weren't in that way for who is able to resist his will but who are you a human being to talk back to God shall what is formed say to the one who formed it why did you make me like this does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use and our point, what I want to point out here is this is Jeremiah 18. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah 18 mm-hmm. is clearly a where the Lord speaks to Israel and says, if I determine, I determine that I'm going to bless a nation, and then they sin and go the opposite way, I can shift and actually release a curse on them. If I determine to curse a nation like Nineveh, and then they repent, I can on that basis shift. What I said before I was going to do, by their free will, by the way, yes. action, I'll determine what I'm doing. It. And so he's making the point, This the, the very scenario itself good. is not about sovereign determinism. It's about, I determine how I bless people by their repentance and their faith in me.
2: So then it's not that a baby stamped with hell and can never, ever repent because God has determined exactly. that they'll never repent. It's that they have free will yes. to choose...
1: And God is going to extend his mercy to them. If they choose to reject the gospel, then the destiny is hell.
2: But even so, if they were stamped, right? If they were stamped with hell on their soul, came to earth, hear about Jesus, repent, and turn to him, he can reverse the stamp.
0: Jeremiah 18 would prove that. Yes. And and you see Paul's argument that he goes on in, I think, Romans 11 or 12, where he says, if they do not persist in their unbelief, they will be grafted back in. Which yes. is how do you fit that in a, a yeah. Calvinistic concept? Yeah. And so what I want to say here is is two things if I can keep them in my mind and not let them drop out. <laughs> um, that first off, Pharaoh, why you know the question and a justifiable question is, why would he bring up the example of Pharaoh? Because that that is possibly the hardest thing to grasp out of this chapter mm-hmm. is that when he comes to Pharaoh, it's like maybe you're following our reasoning so far. but he, when he gets to Pharaoh, it's just like it just absolutely seems like he's just simply saying, God chose to harden him, get over it, you know? And so, so what we have to remember is, is, is kind of what you mentioned, Jason, is that f- consider who Pharaoh was, first off. He wasn't just this unbiased uh, toward God person. He was killing God's people. He was an evil, wicked king. And we can know from passages like Romans 1— we can see, we can know where Paul lays out the clear steps of what it takes to become hardened by God. It's not like God just selects somebody and says, hmm, that person is just going about their... I mean, obviously, all men are sinful, and nobody will seek God apart from God. And so the, I'm not making a case that there's good people in the world. But what I'm saying is that Paul wasn't... or. or Pharaoh wasn't neutral. He was hardening his heart. He was an evil and wicked yeah. king who was embracing yeah. sin. And so God chose to use him as a vessel of wrath. And he chose to give him over to that hardness in order to accomplish a purpose. And so Paul's point in bringing him up is not to say, okay, so God has the right to Pharaoh to harden Pharaoh. That that in turn means he has the right to stamp babies with hell. That's not his case here. He brings up Pharaoh to say, see, again, another, another example that God has the right to choose what he wants. And here's an example. God had the right to choose to harden Pharaoh rather than choosing to Give mercy to Pharaoh. God could have given mercy to Pharaoh and said, I'm, I'm going to bring the commandment of Moses to Pharaoh, which I know is just going to harden his heart because of who he is. But God chose to bring that anyways. And, and he that... was extending the mercy through the
1: plagues. He'd send Moses to him over and over. Please yes. let the people go. Anytime time he could have done that. Yeah,
0: and yeah. never says he couldn't do that. No, he chooses to harden himself, and sometimes God hardens him. Yep, and so the second point of that that I want to say is he says, why does he still find fault? So the Jewish people are saying, okay, in light of all this, how can he still find fault in me? So what are they saying here? And so this comes back to the point that what Paul is arguing for is that they are indeed being hardened, that God has blinded them and he has hardened them. So the question again, it comes down to these two split roads. Why? Why has God made that choice to harden them and to give it them over to that? Is it because they have this stamp of hell on them? Is that why? Mm-hmm. And, and no, that's not the case. What we see all throughout this chapter and in Paul's summary at the end is that they, they are being hardened and blinded and God is molding them in this fashion because they were persisting in self-righteous works mm-hmm. and they were rejecting the way of God's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. That was a stumbling block to them, and they stumbled over it. They did not obey that gospel of grace. It was,
2: yes. it was the self-righteousness that he was so... Adamantly opposed
0: to you. And so God had the right to mold them because they persisted in self-righteous works. God said, if you're going to do that, my will is to then, if you're going to persist in that, I'm going to mold you into a vessel of wrath. Right. So this,
1: just one more section, 22, what if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known bore with great patience the objects of wrath. His context is here again, and you think about Joshua's time going into Canaan land and destroying the Gentiles, you know? I mean he's like, these are objects of wrath. They're not my covenant people. What if, though, he bore with great patience them? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known through the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for his glory, saying, You you shouldn't be shocked. That he's doing this. He's reaching out with mercy. Gentile dogs can now come in. Praise God, always Gentile dogs, right? So we're so thankful that there's a way into the covenant that's not by just being a Jew. And this is again his theme. He'll quote, multiple verses down through verse 29 of promises out of the word of God that clearly said, I'll just do one out of Hosea. Verse 25, I'll call them my people who are not my people, I'll call her my loved one who's not my loved one. And what he's saying to the Jews is listen, God's been saying this for a long time. The Gentiles were coming in, he was gonna extend that. Again, he has the right to determine how people come in and what the how that happens. Verse 30 then is, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that's by faith. This is the whole theme of the scripture. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not, Paul says? Because um, they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. This has been our whole point. It's the whole point. The whole point. From the beginning to the yeah. end, what he's saying is God has determined that you are not saved by works.
0: And so I yeah. would say with that, that if God, if Paul wanted to bring a cross there and to communicate... The any sort of concept of God's sovereignty like we've been talking about, where there is this, this predetermined uh, election, this mysterious election that we cannot know why God makes his choice or why he doesn't make his choice uh, for salvation or damnation. is a mysterious choice. If Paul wanted to make a case for that, I feel like this was his perfect moment to do that, mm-hmm. and to say, this is what I'm saying. Right. Why, why Why is Israel being hardened and in, his in his sum
1: up he statement, he would have gone back and said, I'm talking about individual determinism.
0: Yeah, in a sum up statement. He's saying, okay, is why? That, I'm that's gonna, not my point. I'm just, I'm just going to flat out answer the question. Right. Why are they being hardened? Why are they not being accepted? Here's the reason why. They've pursued righteousness by works. There's absolutely yeah. zero mention of a stamp of heaven or no, hell, a predetermined the election. There's no, there's no mention of that. Now, now, there is a predetermined election, but that stamp of heaven or hell is on, is on faith in Christ. That's what yes. gets the stamp and, and those who have that. And God
1: had the right to
0: choose he that. He had the right to choose that. I don't care how offended you are, Israel. It doesn't matter. that God had the right. It doesn't, doesn't well, matter. Yeah, well, the first,
2: the first wave of opposition to salvation by works came through Christ in the way that he... Um, dealt with the Pharisees. If the way to salvation was through works by the law, Mm -hmm. Jesus would have showed up and said, well done, good and faithful servant. That's right. But he didn't. He was adamantly opposed to the self-righteousness, was killed for it. Right. right? And then now Paul is seeing that and he's saying, yeah, it's not about living up to this standard, but it's about faith and it's through the mercy of God.
1: So we did this to show how an ism can hijack a glorious gospel chapter. I've talked with many people who are arguing sovereignty or free will either way with this thing and they're lost in this cul-de-sac of this discussion about individuals whatever when Paul is continuing if we stay Jesus focused mm-hmm. Jesus hermeneutic contextual yeah. this is about the gospel
2: but how much more is it a warning to us as well yes. to not hold people to a religious law-based standard yes oh that's in Christ.
1: the point Yes.
2: For because we can do that. We can move into that place of self-righteousness. Yeah. Well, I've done this and I've done that. We become a pharaoh.
1: Yes. We
0: become a Pharisee. Yeah. And right? Esau and Ishmael. Whatever yeah. all the
1: scenarios. You're yeah. right.
0: Yeah, I feel like this this chapter, when when I got this insight that Paul is discussing God's right to choose faith. Yes. And childlike faith and dependence on him. And he has the right to reject self-dependence and self-reliance. Yes. This chapter, I started grasping onto this, and this would be like my daily bread, mm, rather than being yeah. a chapter that I'd go to and just like this Ooh, thing I had to swallow. I'm like, man, what is yeah. going on? It's like, this is the most, this is so comforting that I, not only does God say, stop trying to be a good Christian today. Stop trying yeah. to earn my favor, to get over your sins. He doesn't only say, stop that. He says, I, I've, I've rejected, I've absolutely rejected it. I will never accept it, and I I I have the right to do that and I, what I've chosen is that you would come to me on the basis of absolute childlike dependence and that's that's wow. a hugely comforting this chapter becomes hugely comforting when so you think we, about it we
1: way. boldly proclaim that Romans 9 is not a proclamation of Calvinism or Arminianism is or any not. Samism or Jordanism Simply it's a not. proclamation of Jesus and the gospel and God's yeah, right yes. to choose that way
2: You have been listening to The Great Light Podcast.
1: To find more information and resources or to watch our films, go to greatlightstudios.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube. If you want to support this program and partner with the ministry of Great Light Studios, you can do so through our website. There you can also find both video and audio versions of this podcast.